board. Okay, we should be good. You can't hear me while I'm mute, dude. Can you? No, you're fine. I don't think so, no. Thank you. I haven't heard any worm noises, so. I'm making noise. I'm being bad. What are you with? Why are you whipping cream? So I'm making. I should have said it this way. What are you whipping? Oh. I whip it. I'm whipping um, a combination of maple syrup, vanilla extract, and coconut milk because I made vegan cupcakes last night because I can't have anything dairy related. Um, so I I haven't had whipped cream like any like type of icing forever because a lot of it's cream based. Um, or at least had some kind of milk product in there. Um, and can't use like goat's milk for this stuff. It doesn't taste very good. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's like vegan alternatives that taste like really crappy, Mm -hmm. um, and are super expensive. But, and so, um, part of the whole blog thing that I'm starting is, um, I'm eating more and more vegan stuff because I can't have dairy products. Right. So I'm testing everything out and like rating it and all this stuff. And so I'm actually like, I haven't baked in forever because most of the stuff that, you know, people have recipes for is, you know, some type of dairy based thing. There's very little alternatives. So I'm, I'm going to start testing alternatives for dessert. And these are gluten-free and dairy-free, so I'm kind of excited. Very cool. Have I pushed my tofu chocolate pudding recipe on you yet? I believe I've talked about that to a number of people, and I don't know if you're one of them. Yeah, it doesn't, I, like, no offense, but it doesn't sound very good. Oh, no, it really doesn't, really but it, it turns out well. It's, it's not something I ever would have thought to try, mm-hmm. but it actually does taste good. <laughs> I, I, I might try it. I, yeah, um, it helps that I'm not very into sweet, but um, mm-hmm. it's sometimes nice. And there's, you know, there there are sweets all the time in the office that like I just can't have. And even if I don't wouldn't want it in normal occasions, it's just really hard to have, like to always have stuff around that you can't have. Um, yeah, there's one guy in the office that's um, gluten. Free. He has to um, be gluten free, so um, I'm gonna offer him one of my cupcakes tomorrow. Nice. Okay, Scott, you have both phone numbers. Alright, I'll put them in my phone. Hey Sue. Yes. Do you want a um uh a you know what on Friday, or do you want to wait a week? Do you know what on Friday, or do I want to wait a week? You know what? I give you on Friday. Oh, um. I think you should do it for us tomorrow or Wednesday, and then Scott can partake in it as well. Okay. I feel like I'm your dealer. Like, <laughs> you want something else? You want something you know, that, that thing that I give you on Friday? Do you want it early or do you want it next week? Yeah, because Friday's not going to... We're supposed to release a podcast on Friday, and that's not going to happen because I'm only halfway done editing it, and it's not going to get much more done. And I'm not going to be able to release it on Friday anyhow because we're going to be gone till after midnight. So it's not going to happen. And I have no idea how I'm going to do the, uh, you know, heads of houses and all of that stuff at the end of term either, although we will be back... Um, put it off for really what the rest of us do. So it'll depend on how dead we are. 
But yeah, I'm thinking I, there's not that much going on in the forum, so I'm thinking that it probably won't be a huge deal if I don't mm-hmm. actually make it. You know, the closer I get to Wiki, like, yeah, the closer, I mean, the the closer I get to Wiki, the, the, like, I would love to come out, but like, I'm, I'm so dead with the G, between the GRE and everything that happened in May and June, like, I'm so beyond, like, emotionally spent, I could not handle a con, like, that takes it, I, I, I'm warning you now, it takes it out of you. Even though you're not staying there, it takes it out of you. Are you going to the ball? Yes, that's the plan. Anyhow. Okay. I have robes being made for the ball. Oh, that's cool. I want to see pictures. They're half done. They're, they won't close on me, but they'll drape, so it'll be all right. And the yellow's not quite perfect, but I think it'll work. So she's on mute because... There's dead silence. I'm whipping. <laughs> it's good things. It's okay. I know. It's cool. Ooh, that was good. Mm. As far as the toothpaste thing goes, it turns out one of the ones I've gotten already is under 100 milliliters, so I'm just bringing that. But, okay. Yeah. Mom's like, we have three tubes in here, Sue. It's like, I didn't know. <laughs> so, oh, well. And, you know, I, I'm sorry, Scott, but I feel more like your family than company. So I'm like, I'm just going to leave my shampoo in the shower for Scott. Mom's like, you can't do that. I'm like, well, he needs shampoo. You need to give him some new shampoo. I'm like, it's Scott. He just I don't care. She's like, shampoo is shampoo. I will bring down individual shampoo for Scott. I said, okay. So you have a choice of individual shampoo or, you know, what's in the shower, whatever. Because my shower is now working. After a year, I have hot water in my shower. I'm Ooh, so excited. Yeah, did you see my, my post on that? The Yahoo who put in the water heater for us switched leads. So instead of cold water going in and hot water coming out, he had hot water going in and cold water coming out, so it was pulling the hot water through the cold water. I'm not quite sure how it all worked. Mike said that there's like a one-way valve and stuff, so how I got any hot water ever is a miracle. And we called the guy out and we said, you know, something's wrong. And he said, well, it's your power. Like, no, it's not our power. Something's wrong. Come and fix this. And he came out and he gave it a cursory look and he said, it's your power. You have the wrong power. And he said, no, we have the right power and it works just fine. Something's wrong. And it got to the point that he recognized my phone number and stopped taking our calls. Mike looked at it for five minutes and he's like, well, he put these on wrong. So, I mean, if the guy had actually looked at it when he came out, instead of deciding that he was perfect and that there was no way he could have done something wrong, he would have found it, and I would have had hot water in the last year. But yeah. he didn't. But he's out of business, so there's nothing I can do to him. Because I was ready to go and leave messages on Facebook and Angie's List and all kinds of things. But, oh well. Yeah. It's that evil Hufflepuff coming out again. I better contain it. What the hell is a Hufflepuff? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, if I could... Uh... Bring my scooter on the plane. We could go around and run people over, but I don't think that'll work. No, probably not. <laughs> Dang. So we'll figure it out. Yeah. Y'all are letting all our secrets out. I don't. I don't even know what you guys are talking about because there's no such thing as the evil Hufflepuff. 
Oh. Oh, so, never happened. Never, ever. Nope, nope, not us. Well, I guess we should start this thing since we're an hour late. Yeah, minor detail. Yeah, I know. Kat, do you have the thick link somewhere? Did we give you that? She read it before we started, so she should have it somewhere. Okay. Yes, I read the thing. Shout out long. I read it while I was moving things. (laughs) Andy. I'm just going to say that all night long. And I, I'm going to find whip it, whip it good sound effects to go in here. Now whip it. Oh, I, have, okay. I have a whip crack sound effect as well. Oh, and before we actually start, uh, Robert, who has got us to watch uh, Acquisitions Incorporated, Strip Search, uh, and me to watch the other... Uh, acquisi- not acquisitions, or penny arcade videos, has got me hooked on a new D&D podcast called Critical Hit. There are over 200... Oh, I love Critical Hit. ...podcasts, and I'm burning through them. I'm doing like six a day, or 12 a day. I'm doing six at a time. I'm on 38 right now. And I just have to say, I love Torque. Yeah, so I have, I have to tell you something. You do not, uh, Rob goes easy on you. That's all I will say. I know, I know. Uh, I think one of the, somebody got a crit hit and, and, you know, I was like, oh, I can't wait to see what Rob could do. And it was just like a slap on the wrist compared to what happened for us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to actually playing that at some point. Kind of too bad I missed the first one. Next month, Scott. Mm -hmm. I have to say, the beta team, so much fun. I know, and I really want your tape, and he keeps putting me off because he wants to listen to it first. You realize I I laugh because the the place where I... No, no. The place where I send you the thing, um, so that accounts. Um, is the same account. No, he's in there somewhere. Yeah. You don't have access to that part, but it's funny because I'm, I'm just like, and this is where Rob's goes and this is where Sue's goes. Aww. I'm a dealer and I whip things. (laughs) And there's the title. And we are going to start this fic. This is, I guess I should say... For Friday, May 30th, this is episode 187 of Potterfic Weekly. Welcome to the place where the story never ends. Fanfic. The final frontier. These are the ramblings of the PFW peons. Their continuing mission, to explore strange new stories... To seek out new authors and unending tangents. To boldly review where no one has done before. Weekly, one of the family of podcasts. I am Sue. I'm Scott. And I'm Kat. And today we are starting Soulbound, which is a Harry Potter Star Trek crossover. Which is an interesting idea just in general. Not necessarily something I thought I would 
enjoy just reading the description, uh-huh. but it turned out to be really fun. So. Oh, good. I had Trisha read the first chapter, and she said, I have no idea what any of this means. I don't know what's happening. I think I'm going to take a pass on this tonight. And I said, okay. I said, go I... watch the first movie and then read it. Wait, no, 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 no. Which, which first movie? Uh, 2009. The oh, that's not the first movie. No, but that's the... The reboot movie. The reboot movie first movie. Yes, but that's not the first movie. Yeah, but I told her the reboot movie. I said the one with Chris Pine. Oh, okay. Yes, 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 I'm just... I'm, I'm a purist at heart. Okay. I have to say, um, I've read a lot of Stargate Harry Potter crossover. That's really, really bad. I have not read an, any Star Trek crossover. And it's... The thing that sells it, like, right off the bat, is it's not from Harry's perspective. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, oh, okay, we're okay. Because this is going to be a Harry Potter saves the world again somewhere else. This is not going to be okay. Yeah, well, I think it's going to yeah, be this is a Hermione story. It's not a Harry story. Hermione saves the world. Which is cool, because Hermione's, you know, pretty smart, and I think she can save the world once if Harry can do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there's a rock song about that. I think there might be. We might get to hear it. <laughs> uh, I don't know how I found this. I'm assuming somebody wrecked it, or I found it on Live Journal somewhere along the way. But I read it, and I thought, you know, this is kind of fun. And we've never done anything like this on Puffa. So, and, you know, it's Star Trek. This is something Ryan would like, so let's try it. Mm-hmm. So we can make Star Trek references without actually being off topic. I know. It's going to be so cool. <laughs> and yet Ryan is not here. And the people yeah, that are playing well. the drinking game are going to be smashed into their mind by the time we get done with this, but that's okay. I don't think I ever found the drinking game, but that's all right. I feel like we have to update that thing because there have been, like, so many updates to that. Oh, I'm sure. And there are people that aren't here yet that, like, are on the drinking game list. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sue is not part of the drinking game yet. Well, that's okay. I don't need to be part of the drinking game. It's, it's all right. You're a host twice over. You need to be part of the drinking game. <laughs> when Sue says mics, take a shot. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> oh, dear. We started... Go ahead. It's an interesting way of starting this because they're, it's an alternate universe fix. They're doing alternate universe from Deathly Hallows and from the Star Trek reboot. And they start off acknowledging that right out mm-hmm. because we begin in uh, the vastness of space astral plane somewhere with a conversation between cues. Mm-hmm. And it's the cue that most people know from Star Trek arguing with a couple of other cues about whether this whole big change with the reboot is good for the universe or not, and he's worried about how the more violent and isolationist version of the universe will fall to the Borg immediately and wants to come up with ideas to fix things. But because of their own rules, they can't step in too directly. Right. Yes, they have a prime directive as well. Mm-hmm. 
I always thought the Q's presence uh, acknowledged like a multiverse kind of a thing, more of a more than like an alternate universe. Well, yes, but they're the. Yes, but I'm, what so, I'm getting at is that um, a lot of AUs, we don't know why they're alternate. They just sort of are. And in this yeah. case, it's a deliberate action by the Q that causes this particular alternate version yeah, but of multiverse I, I, I think, to happen. I think um, the way a multiverse usually works in fan fiction is that it acknowledges that the canon happened and then says, well, you know, in the theory of the universe being, universe is being infinite and the number of thing, uh, decisions that you make, um, then... Uh-oh, we just lost her right in mid-sentence. That's always fun. Yeah, let's try that again. I there you are. I'm the new Scott. You are. And my yeah. favorite part was it telling me you weren't online when you obviously were because you were writing to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I have Wi-Fi problems. Um... But where where did I cut off? Uh, In mid-sentence. Yeah. <laughs> Shall I just start over? Yeah, go ahead. So the difference between a multiverse and an AU, an AU usually does not acknowledge the existence of canon. An AU says, you know, we're going to go, it, it's kind of, um, what was the story, that Vox Caporis is an AU. Because it doesn't say, well, canon's going to keep going, but here's, you know, here's where this storyline will branch off and form a new universe because Hermione and Harry both make decisions that cause this timeline to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, An AU usually contains a single timeline. A multiverse acknowledges that there are multiple timelines happening all at once. Um, So, like, canon happened and, like, these other four happened over here that we're not going to talk about, and this is just one of the timelines that occurred. Yeah, and this does give some of that. So you you know that the Q are aware of the reboot continuity and the former continuity and so on. But it's all this is this story itself is focused on a particular ultimate universe. It doesn't the characters once we get past the prologue, the characters they don't, don't go universe jump shopping. from universe to universe. Yeah, yeah, they don't go universe shopping. So we have Q, who's worried about what's going on and is wanting to help, and the other Q are saying, uh, no, that's not how these things work. And he's saying, but I have an idea! <laughs> I have a plan, and I can see him! And totally, this Q is my is John Delancey for me, so... Mm-hmm. I gave you something most mortals never experience. A second chance at life. And now all you can do is complain the idea is that they can't do anything too big, but they can get the humans or other beings to make the change for them. Right. And his idea is to uh, maybe plant some clues in the time agency's archives that the humans will find and then go back and fix this whole Nevada thing. But that's not going to work because it is already a splinter universe. Anybody going back in time from the former canon is not going to affect the reboot at all. So, but he's, by this point, he's gotten at least one of the other two kind of interested in his idea, and she comes up with something. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I love this because she says, I don't think that's going to work. And he's like, well, what do you suggest? And he sounds sullen. Yeah. Very much see that. (laughs) And it turns out Merlin was a Q who sort of fostered the development of wizards by staying within their boundaries and not letting on that he was a Q. Mm -hmm. So he didn't get in trouble. Right. And And this particular female Q has been observing wizard kind, I guess, and that's her area of interest. And she's decided that Hermione is a good person to bring into things and have her make the changes mm-hmm. somehow. Yeah. As long as she gets the information about this happening with the Narada and the destruction of Vulcan, then she will be able to help. And the way that they work out to get her this information is... Um, creating a link of some kind between her mind and Reboot's thoughts mind, and he shifts them to his point of view. And he's in one of the little cell-like rooms, young, very, very young, and he's trying not to cry. He wants to know why he's being punished. It wasn't his fault. He didn't start the fight. And it's very much like what we see in the beginning, where he is uh, being basically discriminated against because he's not a full Vulcan. And the others pick on him, the other children do. And he just doesn't quite know what to do. And as he's sitting there trying very hard not to sob and doing a little bit of sobbing anyhow, he falls asleep. And he I feel I feel like this is a little out of character just because Vulcans are I this seems like a very human thing to do of like, you know, people somebody's being teased. And I know it ha- happened in canon that he was kind of like on the outside looking in because he was half human. But like, I just don't, I don't picture Vulcan children like actively teasing someone. Yeah, I, I kind of thought that too, but I do remember it from the movie. So. That's why I don't like reboots. <laughs> they mess with things. Yeah. I can see it with children just because children don't quite it's have illogical. that tight control on their emotions yet. But it, it's not, <laughs> these aren't Vulcan children. I mean, these aren't human children. It's not, you know, they're, they're, Vulcans they're are all about control and everything. I don't know. But even in the, I mean, as we find out later in this, and as I remember from the movie, he was almost sort of discriminated against by the board too. Was yeah, it? oh yeah, no, he was he was definitely discriminated against. I definitely think he was like kind of ostracized by the other kids. I just you know you think about like bullying as it is today, mm-hmm. and I feel like the author was was like superimposing that on two Vulcan children, and I just don't see it. Mm-hmm. I see them... I that, see like, them more like snubbing ignoring, him rather than actively. Yeah. Yeah. I see them ignoring him. Mm-hmm. I don't see them just being like, ha ha, la 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 la. Yeah. Because uh, that's not Vulcan. Mm-hmm. There is a point that um, we, fi- we find out in the original series, I believe, that Vulcans do have emotions, they just have very, very tight control of them, except at certain times. And the premise given in this is that the children haven't developed that control quite yet. 
right. it comes up later in the in this little section. It says that the reason uh, Spock can dream, aside from being half human, um, Vulcan children would dream as well because they haven't gained the necessary control to bypass the REM state. I guess I don't. Most I don't Vulcan like that. Kids, um, have sort of bland dreams that don't do much, <laughs> and Spock mm-hmm. is yeah, his are vivid and probable. And he okay. figures, um, at least as far as this fic goes, um, Spock has been dreaming for some time, and he always shows up in this house, and he can wander around a little bit, but um, as soon as he tries to leave the main area of the house, um, he wakes up. And this particular time, he hears someone upstairs, and that's the first time that this has happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he could... Hiccuping cries from above, so he heads upstairs, and he finds a child, a human child, much younger than he is, standing in the crib. And he's not certain if it's male or a female, and he's kind of looking at it, and she says, Baba? And he says, No, I'm Spock. And she's like, Spa? And then he tries to correct her, Spock, and he, she's like, Spack. And... That's actually a very accurate Vulcan pronunciation of his name. So he's like, okay, that works. And so she likes that that word. It sounds good to her. So she says it over and over again. Back, back. Yeah. And, you know, what do you what do you want? And she's like, up. And he's like, uh, I don't know about this. I don't do that. <laughs> yeah. And, he, he's and then she starts short. to cry. And he's going, um, well, not, this isn't going to work. And then the railing that's blocking him from picking her up vanishes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and he he's just like, whoa. But it, he mind melts with her, and he finds out that she's called Hermione, or Darling, or Pumpkin, or Sweetie, or Mion, and he finds out her mother's I, father's name. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I have to do it this way in my head, because I hate Mion, or Miney, or whatever. Is it my own? I always thought, my own. Yeah, and I could see yeah. that my own. That would be that. That's kind of a, yeah. I mean, well, that, that's kind of a clever thing because it's just like her mother calls her my own, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and she wants to play with him. Buck, hey, and he's like, okay, and you know, she beams at him, and he he sits down and <laughs> starts playing blocks with her, which isn't very exciting, but you know, it's something new. Yeah, and the the blocks just sort of appear. And he's like, oh, I guess that's what we're playing with. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> yeah. And he's, you know, because he thinks it's a dream, he doesn't have problems with her magic. Mm-hmm. He figures this is the way dreams work. Yeah. So, uh, Which is helpful because, yeah, otherwise, um, if, if they had tried to bring uh, a Vulcan next to magic right off, um, I kind of feel like there would be some... Uh, resistance there because magic is illogical. <laughs> oh yeah. The way they the way they work it in this fic is that um, apparently Vulcans have applied science to all sorts of things for years and years, and some of their own mysteries had started out being sort of mystical before they worked them out. So there's a little bit less uh, trouble there. But even so, if it had been um, just suddenly running up against each other as it is in a lot of crossovers it probably wouldn't work have worked out as well mm-hmm. yeah and so we, and kinda... we shift to another t- 
time. Um, go ahead, too. I was going to say, we, we shift a little bit later, and he wants to read her a story, and of course it's like, you know, the cat in the hat. And she's like, no, you know, same, 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 same story. She's a little bit older, so she's putting words together now, um, although not really doing complete sentences. And he says, well, do you want a new story? And she said, yeah. And he wants to know if she knows where her name came from. And he sits down and tells a story about um, her name. And he says, well, it could be from the Shakespearean play, The Winter's Tale, or from ancient Greek mythology. And she wants to hear the play. So he starts telling her the story of the play. And he's just like teaching her from this very young age. And um, we just keep going from there. Sorry. Yeah, it, it, it's a. This whole chapter is basically a series of vignettes as they each grow older and how their relationship changes and what they do. Um, mm-hmm. the, the next one that we get here, um, she has somehow managed to conjure one of their um, personal devices from Star Trek because at one point earlier when um, he was kind of getting bored just playing with her toys all the time, she comes up with um, one of those out of his thoughts and right. conjures that for them. And so then he started teaching her with logic puzzles and such on the um, I don't know what PADB stands for, but it's something I've seen in Star Trek before. They're mm-hmm. Basically, they're handheld things that they do all sorts of stuff with. But. Right. And he mind melts with her, and he's just terrified and awed by what he finds, because she's willed it into existence. Just as she wills her toys and the cribs to vanish and everything else, she was able to bring a Vulcan pad and, you know, and maybe even him. Did she conjure him because she wanted a playmate? And he's just, like, floored by this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the PADDs are basically, like, Star Trek's version of the iPad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we just were trying to figure out if we knew what it stood for. Uh, personal, personal uh, go ahead if you want. Nope, that's all I know. Personal access display device. Ah. Okay. I was going to go a digital something or other, but I guess they hadn't really come up with that in the 70s. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he decides to see if she can create a learning bowl from his memories and mm-hmm. teach her the way he's been taught. And yeah. she just craves games, is what he's going to call it. And she craves knowledge, so this is a perfect thing for her. Yeah. He doesn't have her do a learning goal just then because it's a bit too advanced. But some of the things that Vulcans use to teach their children before that point, um, he has her find in his memories and get some of those. And this is where we start. He's starting to get a little bit older as well. And he gets slightly embarrassed because when he first offers this idea to her, she grabs the two fingers that then... adult Vulcan views when they're kissing. Mm-hmm. He's had his first kiss from an unrelated female, even if she is you know, <laughs> six years old. <laughs> <laughs> he better not tell his mother. Yeah. And then we find out that we find her sobbing into his shirt 
they hate me. And she's having trouble with children her own age. Mm-hmm. She's got school now, and she's way ahead of all of them. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, human kids don't like. Not at all. So uh, he says, well, what about having your parents change your school, send you to a lower grade with your own age mates? Because apparently she's in an advanced class. And she's like, no, I'm not going to dump myself down for this because kids are too accept, too stupid to accept that I'm smarter. And, you know, he, she says the same thing to him. Don't yeah, you... should be the same. Yeah, dumb you yourself down. Go ahead and be better than all of those people who are shutting you out. Just watch their faces. Mm-hmm. And then we come to, and I believe this bit that um, Spock has just told Hermione before the bit that we come into is also from the movie. I can't remember exactly, but it's, um, it's uh, about, I think it's the one where we actually see him having a fight with another kid in the movie because he's insulted his mother. Um, and he's ashamed of himself because violence is not a logical response. And she says they were the ones being illogical. Right. And it's the same, I mean, we see this a lot, where you can pick on the child as much as you want, and they'll resist you, but the minute you pick on the friend or the family, then they lose it and come after you. So, I mean, that's pretty much what happened. They picked at him, picked at him, picked at him, and he was able to ignore them. But once they went after his mother, all bets were off. Mm-hmm. And she said, whoever this boy was, he wasn't responding to civilized attempts to curb his behavior. So. Mm-hmm. And we notice um, as you're going through this, and that's why it sort of shows up as an explanation at this point, that um, Hermione has much, uh, much more adult speech patterns than you would expect, even from a 10- or 12-year-old. Mm-hmm. And um, it's because she's had this constant contact with the Vulcan in her dreams, and because of some something to do with the way that it works means that they basically meld with each other um, at the drop of a hat. Right. So she keeps absorbing his um, mental structure and skills, and he can um, see what she's been doing with, with herself in between the dream times and things like that. So. I think part of it is just because she's human. I, well, first of all, I'm not sure she thinks it's a dream. He thinks it's a dream, but I don't know if she's dreaming when it happens as well. I think she might just, you know, think of him as I, an imaginary friend, maybe. Yeah. And because she's human, she touches, whereas mm-hmm. humans don't touch. And so they're mind-melding because she's constantly touching him. Yeah. So, and she's pretty much working... Uh, from home now. She's so advanced in school that they've just kind of put her in a homeschool because they can't keep up with her. And she likes the freedom, but she doesn't have very many friends except for Spock. And Spock's her companion, teacher, friend, mentor, partner. And he's always there for her. And she realizes that even though she's having this trouble, she's actually better off than he is because mm-hmm. her family is willing to understand and support her 
whereas being Vulcan's, that he doesn't get the um, direct emotional support from his family that she does, even though his parents are supportive of him in general, they're still Vulcans and, um, well, his father is anyway. Yes, he's only half-Vulcan. goes along with that. Um, he doesn't get the emotional display because they're trying to rape him to be a Vulcan. And she is the only place that he can have that sort of warmth, I guess. Right. We switch again, and she comes out of a, a learning bowl program. And she says she's done, and he says, do you have any comments? And she said, well, it was pretty doggone easy. And she said, wait a minute, it's two uh, terms ahead of the last math unit you did. How can you, how can it be easy? And she says, well, I don't know, but look, I did it. And he nods and melds with her again to find out what's going on. Mm -hmm. And then we shift on, and they've been running various experiments, and he can't seem to come to the limits of what Hermione can do. Mm -hmm. Um, because it is a dream world, and they've both realized it by, this by then, that this is different from the waking world, because she reports that some of the things she can do with him there, um, when she tries them when she's awake, she gets tired a lot faster. Yes. So I guess that's wrong. Well, you might have been right about that point. Like mm-hmm. By now, they've sort of agreed on that, this being a dream thing. Um and he is just really wishing that she could have been born in his time. There are things he can think of uh, that they could use to test things out more, but she can't build them in her time and material. Mm-hmm. And they can't ever really meet. And she's his only real friend. So Yeah. And she's practicing math, science, and languages all the time now. And she's writing out different uh, ancient and modern dialects by hand because she can't have the PADDs while she's not in her dream world. And her parents are really confused by this strange language that she knows, but they just think it's a game that she's playing. Mm-hmm. And she... Which they probably encourage me to do so much more advanced in other areas. You know, it's most any old play games like this. Right. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't want to tell them otherwise because she doesn't want to have to start talking to psychiatrists about their mental break. <laughs> yeah. And she's found this word and she's not quite sure what it means. Uh, she tried to tell Spock, but he, or she tried to get Spock to tell her, but he had trouble explaining it. And basically, I think it's more like a mate, but the what explanation that she has is that it's someone a Vulcan would consider a friend, sibling, and romantic partner all in one. Mm-hmm. It's the Vulcan word for soulmate. Right. But Spock doesn't know how to explain that word, doesn't want to. It wouldn't be super soulmate, would it? Ah, no. It might be. <laughs> you never know. You do never know. And wait. Jump again, and she's twirling around like a fey creature in the universe. Mm-hmm. And she's about three years younger than he is. Too young, too fragile, too delicate. And he's kind of falling in love with her, too, but he's afraid of it. So yeah. he's, you know, and he's already been um, betrothed because that's how they do it in Vulcan. So he's going to have to do something. And yeah. he's 
coming up with this very difficult decision that he has to make. The next scene we get is him coming up and telling her that they're going to have to stop meeting because he's trying to get into the um, Moroccan Science Academy and he can't. One of the requirements is the strict control of the mind and dreams and emotions. And if he controls everything as they're supposed to, they won't be able to meet anymore. Because mm-hmm. most of it is coming from her end. Right. But, but it's still a this, dream, and he's not supposed to have dreams. Yeah. And he, you know, tries to logic her. I cannot be the friend you need in your waking hours. You need friends who can be for, there for you in ways that I cannot. It is best that you find them among your own kind. And she freaks out and yells at him. <laughs> and he says he's been meditating on the cost benefits of their friendship. And this is when he brings up the, the entrance exams for the mm-hmm. science academy. And if he, once he's locked down his dreams, he won't be able to connect. Um, she could try, but they would, there would be sort of a wall there that they can't reach. So, so she, and then she mentions, you know, well, you could go through the academy and then you could meet again after you graduate. And he says it's, it makes more sense to have a clean break and you have to focus on being as Vulcan as possible, which includes emotional attachment to them. So. And of course she wakes up crying and her mother comes in and wants to know what's wrong and she just throws herself in her mother's arms and cries and cries and hopes that Spock is right. And unfortunately, she starts having more trouble with everything else because beforehand she was able to just let whatever the other kids did sort of um, fall off because she had her um, support place to go with thought, and now she doesn't. And so she's sort of withdrawing more and more from life in general, and her parents are getting pretty worried about what are they going to do. And then her Hogwarts letter arrives. <laughs> and I love her. Dad, are one of your role-playing friends playing some sort of joke on me? And he's like, whatever do you mean, dear? And mm-hmm. we have this Hogwarts letter on a scroll. And, you know, they pretty much decide to wait until tomorrow when the scroll says somebody's going to come and explain it all to them before they decide what to do because... This can't really be true, but maybe it is. And this gives Hermione something to be excited about again. Mm-hmm. And she, her interest is stimulated, and she can't wait for tomorrow to come. Right. And that is the end of Chapter 1, which is basically the prologue. Yeah. Because when we move on into Chapter 2, which is called Finding Her Own Way, we basically have, we have now gone through all of Harry Potter canon. Right. Happening as we're, as it happened until we get to the middle of the forest when Ron leaves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's not real keen on Ron in this one. Mm-hmm. And I almost prefer it because so for, for seven years, you know, Ron is an absolute douchebag to Hermione and then, you know, without any explanation, she just, you know, suddenly they're a couple and they're going together. And it's like, really? I don't ever see Hermione doing that. And like the other thing is the, the fact that, you know, 
Harry died. Harry, Harry changed drastically in that year. Mm-hmm. And a lot of authors have taken it to be, you know, well, he wasn't there for year seven. But the thing is, like, it, it's, you know, it's not really something that, like, just rolls off of you. Like, oh, yeah, he's the boy who lived. He died. And then he got up again. He's better now. It's like, but still, you died. You saw, you, you were given the opportunity to go to your parents, whom you've never met before. Right. And you turn it down and save the world. And, you know, that, that changes you. And I really don't ever, I never really saw him just like picking off, picking up where he left off with Jenny, regardless of how he felt about her emotionally, there was still, there's still going to be that block. So I kind of like the fact that, you know, both of them were kind of like, okay, let's hold on. We had to, you know, we had to work out some stuff and, you know, the laser kids were just like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And that, that's what we mostly go through in this chapter is it, it starts out uh, at that moment in the forest and then again kind of skips on further past the end of canon. And, um, apparently during all the little bits that we didn't see when uh, Hermione was on the outs with Ron or Harry, then she would, um, go off into her astral plane again and see what's going on with thought because they can't connect, but she could still sort of catch glimpses of what his life is being like. So yeah. she goes through some of the, the major events in how his life has been going. And he's, she's kind of proud of him because she, he's found a purpose in life and he's managed to get his preferred position or he's close to getting his preferred position um, as a um, science science officer on a deep space vessel because mm-hmm. uh, there's a constitution class ship in planet spaces and she's determined to do as well as she has and she decides that once they deal with the Horcrux science and all of that she's going to just go and do things for herself and not worry about what other people think right. and it we then shift to a scene with Harry, which is the first time he's actually shown up in this story. And <laughs> as Kat was saying, oh my God, I love basically it. <laughs> tried similar, tried to do something similar. And we've gone through Voldemort's been defeated and all of that. And now Harry, just every now and then, he likes to get away and go be a muggle tourist somewhere where nobody knows him. And mm-hmm. he and Hermione made a little thing of meeting up various places and doing that. Can you just imagine that conversation, like, in canon, like, Harry turns to Ginny, can we be muggles for the honeymoon? (laughs) (laughs) And Ginny's looking like, what? Yeah. Well, and, you know, Ron doesn't understand why Harry hates... I can't say it. Thank you. Being in the public eye... I could say it until I messed it up, and then there was no way. Um, and, you know, he he doesn't want to be with Ginny in this, and, of course, Molly's having a fit about that because, or no, and Hermione has pretty much told Ron to flake off, and Molly's upset with that because she expected Hermione to agree to uh, marry Ron and have little babies for Molly and Arthur to spoil. And that didn't well, no, no, because what what happens is that Ron, you know, tries for a while with Hermione, and then Hermione turns him down. And what he does with that is he goes shags the nearest skirt he can find. Mm-hmm. 
And this is like, from what I could tell from the chapter, like this was a pattern. And then Hermione was just like, forget it. You're not that serious about me. Right. Mm-hmm. They're sort of extrapolating from the whole lavender thing <laughs> in this book. And in another pick, I could actually see Ginny having a lot of fun going and being muggles for the honeymoon, but that doesn't apparently happen in this one. No. She's just, um, Harry told her She's a pupil at which I can't see her, like, you know, she doesn't think that highly of her father's obsession just like the rest of the Weasley kids. They don't understand it. Right. They, they're one, you know, squib uncle they don't talk about. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It depends on the, the version of them. Some of them ha- have them being more interested in Arthur's things than, um, than others. But, uh, yeah, in this case, anyway, uh, Harry has said, you know, a- after all the battles and things, he's told her they're not necessarily getting back together right away, and she immediately uh, accuses him of sleeping with Hermione when they were camping in the tent. And he's mm-hmm. like, um, no, that never happens, and it's never going to happen because that would be gross. <laughs> yeah, she's my sister. Not going to do it. But they are not uh, on the best of terms. So basically, Harry and Hermione must have little outings every now and then just to go around and be muggles and learn some stuff. Uh, in this case, there there's a medieval reenactment going to happen at the latest museum, and Harry's sort of going, hmm, uh, I don't know, do you want to see it? She says, actually, she kind of does, because she wants to learn some more uh, methods of warfare, because she's pretty sure the wizarding world is going to have another war soon, mm-hmm. they don't learn. <laughs> right, and basically we find out that the wizarding world hasn't changed all that much. Voldemort might be gone, but that hasn't changed anything. And Harry's just tired of it. And, of course, everybody's like, oh, the boy who lived, the man who lived, you must be this and you must be that and we want you to be an Auror and he's just like, no, I did my part I've had enough fighting. done. Yeah, we talk, Hermione talks about how she can't trust Ron anymore just because of all the things that he's done over the years and she decides rather than trying to take on the bills of the Wizarding World in this version, she does not become a trial lawyer. No. She goes and applies for the Department of Mysteries instead to do all the interesting research that she's always wanted to do. Yeah. And, uh, and apparently they've apparently been watching they, them with very big brother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The six of them that broke into the ministry or, and into the Department of Mysteries, apparently that those would be semi-public rooms, those ones. Um, they have been keeping tabs on all six of them, and she and Luna have both had offers to join out with the department. And Harry's sort of like, well, hey, how come I haven't got an offer? He's like, really, Harry? Do you want to sit there researching all day? And he's like, eh, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and then later, when she go- gets ready for bed, she thinks about uh, the way her life's progressing and that her friendship with Spock might have been lost when he denied her, but she still had the utmost respect for him. And he's the only one who's ever come and faced up to her and given him given his reasons before walking away. Everyone else has just abandoned her for no and um, not faced up to it. And we switch again, and she's having a little drink. On she's curled up on her love seat, having a little drink, reading a book. Mm-hmm. She's 24 now. She's had 
three years, I believe, um, in the department. She's then it goes through sort of her progress there. She started out not choosing a specialty, so she could learn basically everything. And the second year, she sort of got a chance to choose some of her projects. And by the third year, she got to choose lots of things because she was so good. Mm -hmm. um, and it talks about how part of what makes her so good is her experience as growing up as a muggle and um, learning scientific reasoning from Spock. Because most wizards don't bring that to anything. So she's done a lot of experimentation from that sort of angle. Most wizards don't have an ounce of logic. <laughs> no, they uh, don't. And she's, you know, got all kinds of patents and royalties and things for these what she's invented. So she doesn't have to work a day in her life now because she's basically rich. But that would be boring. Because patents make so much money. <laughs> Well, maybe wizarding patents do. <laughs> Depends on how often they get used, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. It's sort of a royalty thing. So she's been working on different things, and she's found, she's got this 700-year-old set of jewelry that's enchanted and crafted by a Roman wizard, and they don't know why, what what the purpose is. It yeah. wasn't dark. They're pretty sure it's not, yeah harmful, mostly benign, but they're just not sure where, you know, what it's about. And the last woman that owned it was an unspeakable who had given it to the department. Yeah. And so she just decides the best, the next step is to try it on and see if it does anything. And so she does and sort of looks in the mirror at herself and she looks kind of like an Egyptian princess because of her nightgown and the jewelry, but it doesn't really seem to be affecting her in any particular way. Except for that she's tired. And then she hears someone calling her name. And it's going to be one of the cues. Mm -hmm. There's nobody, apparently. And uh, she's in the blank whiteness. And uh, she has a brief conversation with them about, you know, oh, she's dreaming. And what what do they want? And um, they talk about how what she's done with her life. And the Q asks if she's happy or not. Mm -hmm. She says, fairly, mm, you know, it's, it's okay. Even though she hasn't um, she hasn't managed to reform the wizarding world, and she says, well, that's not my responsibility, really. Um, she says, the the Q says, you know. Do you feel no obligation towards your people? And she says, my people? What have you been smoking? Wizards, wizardings are not my people. My people are my friends who believe me and listen to me. And I've tried to let the ministry know what they're doing and what's going to come. And they don't pay any attention. So it's their fault, not mine. Yeah. One, one of the previous things we skimmed over is she's done um, various simulations, basically, at the say that if they don't clean up their act within the next 20 years or so, a wizarding society is going to collapse in the next 70. And she gave her findings to all of her department head and such. But uh, now it's, she's washed her hands of it, basically. Yeah. This reminds me of the movie I saw last night. Hmm. And so the next question is, if you're happy enough with your life, would you give it up to save people you don't know? Yeah, if you're uh, not happy in, with your world. Yeah. 
in the non-magical world, people who know nothing about magic or you, and she wants to know what they mean, and then she gets fed a whole bunch of images which are basically um, the disastrous portions of the reboot movie. Yeah. Yeah, and she sees Vulcan exploding, and she sees Spock's face when his mother dies. Yeah. And that's pretty much all she's going to need. Mm-hmm. Her first reaction is denial. It's not real. And mm-hmm. he says it has the potential to happen, and it will happen if outside variables are reduced. And yeah. then she sort of, what am I supposed to do? I'm only one person. And the cue quotes for want of a nail after. Yeah. Which, of course, she then completes because she knows the whole thing. Of course she does. And he says, you know, that you're the right person at the right time to work miracles that even Q cannot. And she questions that Q. And he explains, you know, that he's called Q, that all of his me- all of his kind are, and that they're an advanced race. Um, so she's, you know, I'm not sure what I can do. And... He says, tell me, how does magic affect electronics? And she says, well, it fries them. <laughs> mm-hmm. and he explains that magic is a manipulation of energy on the quantum level. And it affects reality by affecting the energy underneath it. And she makes the inference that uh, Q and quantum have something to do with each other. Um, mm-hmm which is really pretty close. Right. And so then the Q, may, uh, she asks if she can have somebody to talk to that she can see. So the Q manifests as an oriental monk yeah. and makes the offer again. Um, would you give up everything you are right now in order to save Vulcan? And she wants to know what the terms are uh, right. and why can't she come back? And that's because Having gone to the future, she'll have too much knowledge to exist in this time again. Mm-hmm. So then her next request is, can she bring anyone else? Yeah. And he says, well, no more than five, because that can destabilize the situation. And she's like, oh, I only need two. <laughs> We're good. And mm-hmm. she says, I'm going to need stuff. I'm going to need books and tools and supplies and money to buy what I lack. And he kind of almost smirks at her. And says, are you expecting me to create gold for you? And she says, no, but I want you to allow me to bring everything I do necessary. Blocks, books and seeds and tissue samples and anything I can. And he says, if you could pack it and carry it with you, you can bring it, little witch. And of course, she could bring a whole heck of a lot of things. Yeah. It's a handy Mary Poppins charm. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that Mary Poppins charm is such a great charm. So, mm-hmm. and she tells him she's gotten even better at it since then. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Kat, did you have a comment? No, I'm just listening. Okay. Um, so we have uh, Harry operating in. Mm-hmm. He's um, going to Hermione's for dinner, and Luna's there too. And he's like, "Oh, hi, Luna. Did you get invited too?" And she said, "Yes." She has something very important to ask us. 
<laughs> I love Lola. He's like, really? And she's like, yes, nothing dangerous. Nothing dangerous, dangerous, but still dangerous. <laughs> so helpful, Luna. Very helpful. Yeah. <laughs> oh, love Luna. Mm-hmm. Luna's great. So, and they both basically realize that they're going to do anything Hermione asks because she's helped them so much. Mm-hmm. But she's uh, she set up this whole thing. She's got snacks and they're sending pizza, and she wants to ask them something. And she says. First, I need you to promise, give, give me a vow that you won't tell anyone. Whether you believe me or agree with me or decide to do what I'm asking, regardless, you can't tell anybody about it. And they're like, okay, fine, we can go with that. And then she makes a vow that everything she says while this candle that she has is still burning is the truth. And Harry is kind of shocked because she's sworn on her magic and, you know, then she'll remove her magic from herself if she lies and mm-hmm. why would she do something like that and she says because it's completely unbelievable and I want you to believe me right. and she proceeds to tell them basically the general outline of things that's thought when she was younger and then this offer from the queue and Harry's kind of like uh yeah I guess she kind of did need to do that because I would have burst out laughing ten minutes in another one <laughs> yeah basically and, you know, she says, there's very few people I would really miss, but you two are on the list. And I love Luna. She comes around and gives her a hug and says, I would miss you, too. And she says, well, that's why I want you guys to come with me. And they kind of, Harry blinks. And Luna's like, okay, I'll just need to sell the rookery and get some stuff together. And, yeah, I'm in. And Harry's like, well, this is Hermione. And she's not going to do anything without thinking it through, so... Yeah, let's do this thing. Besides, Minerva's pushing him to become the defense teacher, and Molly still wants him to marry Jenny, and he's pretty sure he's going to get another howler in a week or so, and yeah, let's go for it. <laughs> Jenny's stalking him again. Mm-hmm. So. But he's going to have to take some time to unload his various properties, because apparently this is a, uh, a Harry with properties, mm-hmm. uh, and he doesn't want anybody to realize that he's leaving. So. Yep. So and apparently, course, I like the I like the fact that Hermione notes that it was it, um it was probably going to be not too long before Harry you know left for America or Australia anyway. Yeah, to get away from Molly and Ginny, mm-hmm. or just you know because he doesn't want to be the boy who lives every all his life. Exactly. So she tells them that would. <coughs> excuse me. They need to make some lists, and she gives them all magical diaries, and if. You know, we each have different colors. She, she basically gives them Google Docs. We'll each have yeah. our own colors, and anything you write in here, we'll be able to read, and that way we won't double buy things and stuff like that. And, of course, Harry can't remember the wand movements. And she's just exasperated with him. And he's like, but it's been years, Hermione. Mm-hmm. Apparently there's an edit charm, which would be useful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they actually put this all together in six weeks, which is pretty good. I have just yeah. thought the podcast for a second. Yes. We just won the Stanley Cup yeah, against you know, the Boston Bruins. <laughs> I'm really happy, and I'm going to stay off Facebook because Melinda and, and Death Roll will probably come after me. Apparently two goals in the last <laughs> minute or something like that. Yeah. Uh-huh. I've got Twitter up, and Will Wheaton's been screaming. <laughs> 
the local cupcake place is going to um, have a Stanley Cup special. So in this in this case, it's going to be Black Forest. If it was uh, Black Hawk Forest or Boston Cream Brewing, Boston <laughs> Brewing Cream. Uh, I, have, I have to say, the people at my work know Boston Cream anything <laughs> for like the last two weeks. <laughs> Oh, that's how, I mean, that's just, you have to understand, like, three out of, like, the, the seven games that were played went into overtime. Wow. One of them went into triple overtime. Ooh, that's nail-biting. Yeah. It's, it's been a really stressful <laughs> series. And, you know, I, I, I'm really happy that we won. The Bruins made it tough. Yeah. Um, the, the Bruins definitely, you know, gave us a run for our money and, and I, I gotta, I gotta respect them, but so we won. <laughs> it always makes for better games when they're evenly matched. Yes. I really haven't been paying attention to fight living in Canada. I miss hockey, but. for them. Yep. We're way off course. So we have we're six weeks later, and they've all gathered at Stonehenge. And why must all have like magical things happen at Stonehenge? Well, because it's a magical place. Says who? The Muggles. Because Muggles are so right all the time. Yeah, Muggles are always right. So they've been, like, buying I things. Really, I would love to read a fic where, like, Stonehenge has no significance whatsoever. Well, you know, maybe the, the mini Stonehenge that's down the river from us. Or I guess it's upriver from us might have magical significance this time around. No, I'm just, I, 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 I would, it would make me, it would tickle me. Because it seems like every time that there's any magical place, it's Stonehenge. Mm-hmm. Well, that's because that's the place people know. Yeah, but so. Yeah. It's so, repetitive. It is. It is. So we've. It reminds been... me of um, a comic I've been reading the last few days, and in one of them, um, it's it mostly follows this uh, barbarian girl who is on a quest to eat every kind of animal there is because then she'll be a respected member of the five or whatever. But um, one of them is called the Gods Must Be Cray Cray. Uh, <laughs> and it's uh, oh, there. the gods must be crazy. That's a good movie. Have you ever seen mm-hmm. that? It was. I have. It's a great movie. I and think, in this one, I, I have, sorry, you tell this, and then I'll I'll tell the gods must be crazy story with us. But finish your thought. Okay. Well, they're, they're running down a beach, and there's these big vertical columns of stone just sort of landing in the middle of stuff, and they keep having to avoid them, and then it pulls back, and um, the the one that we've seen before was her god with the big Viking helmet and everything. Is that, okay, who left Farclough in charge over lunch break again? And he's just standing there dropping little pebbles onto the map. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's about how yeah. it works, too. Yep. When... So Stonehenge is really a former uh, game of tiddlywings or something. <laughs> <laughs> that, that actually wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> When The Guys Must Be Crazy first came out, like, was in the theaters, Mom said, I'm taking you to a movie. And I was like, all right. 
And we went to a movie, and I was young, and no, I'm going to say older teenager. And, you know, the first five minutes of that are like a documentary. And I'm looking at her going, why in the world did you bring me to this? It's a very strange movie. We laughed and laughed and laughed our way through it. We had so much fun watching that movie that I actually own it and the sequel. (laughs) As we all know, when something falls from the sky, it can only have come from the gods. Of course, the gods only send good and useful things. However, this time they made a mistake. The gods must be crazy. It's a good. I mean, if, listeners out there, if if you have never seen it and have never heard of it, the gods must be crazy is about um, a an African village that is so far away from civilization that they don't know anything about the Western world, and a plane flies overhead and a Coke bottle falls out. And they don't know, they think it's, a, they think that it's a gift from the gods. Mm-hmm. And then slowly, nice you know, and, and it just, everything turns on its head and, and yeah, it, 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 it's all, like she said, all hell breaks loose <laughs> over this Coke bottle to the point where, you know, somebody's going on this insanely long journey to try and return the Coke bottle to the gods. <laughs> yeah, he's going to throw it over the edge of the world to return it to the gods. And mm. on his trip, everything that can go wrong does go wrong. And, you know, he's just this little guy that doesn't know anything about all of these things. And he's, he's just this happy-go-lucky guy, and all of this stuff happens around him, and he doesn't quite understand it, but it does. And, and it's an empty Coke bottle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is. And we should all live more like his people do than our people. Oh, yeah. So, but anyhow. <laughs> Scott's sharing popcorn with us. So, yeah, it's been six weeks. And they've gone on shopping sprees all over the world because they can't buy all this stuff in Diagonalia or people will figure stuff out. Mm-hmm. And they've gone through their list. Harry's mostly been doing um, magical goods from directly from whichever country they were made. Uh, Luna's been going after plants and creatures and potions ingredients. And, uh, Hermione, of course, is focused on books. <laughs> you just know that Luna snuggled, sm- snuggled. Yeah, I I can talk. Smuggled a few nargles in her bag. Oh yeah, not going to tell him about it until she oh, gets there. Oh, you know. <laughs> but pretty soon, Vulcan's going to be inundated with nargles. It's going to be like tribbles, only not so bad. <laughs> yeah, it'll be fun. And coffee. I want these things up. If I don't care if it takes every man we've got, I want them off the ship. Aye, they're into the machinery, all right. And they're probably in all the other food processors, too. How? Probably through one of the airmen. And they've uh, they've worked out this thing with their properties because it, six weeks is not that much time to sell a bunch of properties. They've decided what they're going to do is pool everything and make it into a trust that's for the support of um, muggle-born witches and witches. And they've come up with 30 people uh, that they think would be good to run it. and um, Actually, they narrowed it down to five. Mm-hmm. 
They started with a list of 30, and then they narrowed it. Okay. Down I thought five. they came up with 30, and the, they were supposed to choose five from themselves or something. But yeah, okay. Oh, well, maybe that's, maybe that's how it works. Okay. But at any rate, if none of their people they've thought of are available, then the heads of Ravenclaw, Gryffindor, and Hufflepuff are supposed to recommend five muggle-born or half-blood graduates to mm-hmm. be in charge of this trust. And uh, Hermione says, okay, it's the last chance to back out. Any second thoughts or anything? And uh, Harry says, no, I'm just days away from getting another howler, so, or maybe even an in- intervention. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm not going to sit through that. Nope. Yeah, can we can we leave now? Because I just sold all my crap, and people are going to start catching on. Well, that and they've post-dated letters to leave behind, and apparently some of the letters that Harry's leaving behind and Hermione are leaving behind are howlers. So, mm-hmm. but then they sort of so they laugh about that for a bit, and then get somber again. And okay, well, we're doing this. We're really doing this. All right. Yes, we're going to do this. And they vanish. It's time. And off they go. On to chapter three. <laughs> I love New my Facebook feed. You love what? My Facebook feed. I thought you weren't going to look at Facebook so that you... I'm sorry! <laughs> so, it's okay. Uh, it's the Blackhawks one. I want to see what everybody's saying. The Chicago Shakespeare Theater is saying, they are beaten, sir, and our advantage is serves for a fair victory. Anthony and Cleopatra. <laughs> <laughs> nice. uh, I've already feed. Okay. Well, apparently, Q travel is a lot like Port Key travel because Harry falls to his hands and knees the minute that he you know, lands. Harry falls over a lot. I know. And he starts not the greatest of with the disillusionment, notice me not charms, and he kind of uh, looks around and he's in this bare expanse of grass dotted by bits of rubble, the shattered remnants of Stonehenge. Ooh, ooh. They've only traveled in time, not space. Mm-hmm. So they're, they are where they left from. And this is the England that's been shattered by the eugenics war. Right, World War III. Mm-hmm. And, and so they're going to head off and find a town and to get a jeweler to buy some of their golden gems so they have credit. Right, because they need money. And they only need to confund the guy a little bit to get yeah, him to... Do what they want. So they don't have to do proof of ownership. Mm-hmm. And I love. They don't have to work. She asks, You have the invisibility cloak, right? And he says, Yeah, and I even went and nicked the Elder Wands from Dumbledore's tomb and picked up the resurrection stone from the Forbidden Forest. So this is another thing that's different from Ken, because he broke it. He broke what? Didn't he break the Elder Wand? No. Only in the movie. Oh, that's right. <laughs> No, I think he actually tried, he used the Elder Wand to repair his wand, and then I think he probably did put it back in the... Oh, that's right. Okay. I don't know that that part is exactly canon, but I that's the feeling I get. Okay. So. And uh, Hermione tells him that was a good idea, because that way the Wizarding World won't get their hands on them, and she said, I thought you said the hell it was too dangerous to have, and he said, yeah, but you've matured a little since then. <laughs> You're smarter than you were. Now we need to find a goyle. <laughs> a what? He's like, what? <laughs> you know, a, a criminal-type minion. 
And I've been listening to way too much Dungeons & Dragons and Minions are just mm-hmm. not quite good. It's like in the so Minions. Killed in one shot. Yeah, just kill them off. They need, like, Minions. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do with him after we question him? Well, we're going to just see what kinds of uh, contacts he has, and we'll pay him. Okay. Yeah, so they get they get themselves some uh, passable fake ID. Mm-hmm. So she's... Barney this... decides she's going to go ahead and contact the Vulcan Embassy, and then she'll leave them some beacons that they can just operate to. Right. And in the meantime, you guys look up history and check out the library and see what all you can find. Mm-hmm. And Luna has been playing with the local kids who have been all too happy to teach a grown-up stuff that they should know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So get to learn from some things that way. Gotta love Luna. So we jump to Spock. And he says, uh, Spock here and a unfamiliar human in the operations and securities uniform says, I need you to identify your, I need to confirm your identity. And he's like, okay. And, you know, Spock's a little impatient because he's the only Spock in Starfleet, Starfleet. but they use his real name. His Vulcan names. His Vulcan names, which has been uh, sealed. And no one should have that information. And mm-hmm. the commander says, well, I have this young human female in detention who wants to speak to you, and she's not going to talk to anybody else. And Spock's like, um, I'm coming. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he, He's like, I'm not sure about this. And yeah. he goes in and wants to know if they have a picture of her, if there's a way that they can, he can see her. And of course, even though it's been years, he recognizes her immediately. Mm-hmm. They don't have a picture because all the cameras around her have been shorting out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they've got her in a room with a one-way mirror, basically. Right. So he goes into the middle. Option I'm picturing is. basically every um, show there is. He yeah, gets to go into the yeah, observation room and see. And of course, he recognizes her immediately. And mm-hmm. Commander Venture... Um, picks up on that. Yeah. And they, they've had a female officer in talking to her. They did a strip search. They, you know, all of these things, they can't figure out what she's done to block the cameras and things. Mm-hmm. And Which has to worry because a bunch of people can do that when they've really got a security risk. <laughs> mm-hmm. So he goes in and they greet each other in Vulcan. Yeah. Live long and prosper. And she... Um, he starts to ask questions, and she just says, are you really ready to know the answers? And he says, well, yeah, I'm trying to ask you questions. And she offers her hand to meld with him. Mm-hmm. That's how she wants to tell him everything. And he's kind of hesitant, but eventually goes for it. And well, and part of it is that she doesn't want other people to know what she's going to tell him. So this is the only yeah. way that she can do it where no one else is going to know. It's a private way of communicating. And it pretty much just blows his mind. Mm -hmm. And he comes out of the mill and immediately grants her sanctuary with his clan and says, go to the embassy and tell them. And then when he, they sort of have a formal farewell and she vanishes and the commander comes in and says, uh, we were picking up a weird energy reading from in here. What? Where did she go? <laughs> <laughs> and 
he says, I'm going to throw you in the brig if you don't tell me. And he says, Commander, I can't answer your questions. This is now a Vulcan matter, and the Vulcan High Command needs to be informed. And, and it's probably going to be classified. It's going to be classified, and there's nothing you can do about it. He says, but, but, but what about our security? And he says, as far as I am aware, there are only three people who can do that to your cameras, and none of them would bother. So you're okay. <laughs> and he asks for a leave and gets it, gets Captain Pike to kind of rush it through, and he gets his leave, and off he goes before anybody else really figures it out, which is mm-hmm. good for him. And, and Hermione has apparated to the Vulcan Embassy mm-hmm. and has people stare at her because she just appeared, but that's okay. She's ignoring them. Yeah. And greets the door warden in Vulcan with the, the formal um, greeting and says that she's been granted sanctuary by Fox Clan. And he's sort of going, uh... And she says, this is beyond your responsibilities. You should send for somebody higher up. Mm-hmm. So, uh, let's do that. <laughs> yeah. And she asks to send a few messages, so she sends some messages and... Yeah, she sends one to Ron and Harry and one to... One to Ron and Harry? No, uh, Luna. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm too used to the trio, what can I say? I know. And one to... Um, Lady Amanda and Ambassador Sarek. Yeah, and the, the young Vulcan who she was giving the addresses to so that she could send these, recognized that the second one was somebody on Vulcan, and, and she explains she's contacting them to bring them to Terra as soon as possible, and please don't share their private number. And he's kind of going, yeah, who's this person? She has the private number. <laughs> yeah, I know. And so she just goes in and... Her first message is basically... Uh, I'm there, I'm here, I'm going to set up the beacons in a moment, come when you can. And then she talks to Amanda for a little bit longer. Yeah, she talks to Amanda on a vid screen. Yeah. She Mm -hmm. introduces herself, says she's acquainted with Spock, and Amanda says, I have never heard of you, that's kind of strange. And she basically asks them to come and hear what she has to say, and if they choose not to believe her, then they can revoke this sanctuary that Spock's granted her and she'll go and try and deal with them on her own. Yeah, and they say, okay, we're on our way. We'll be there in a few mm-hmm. hours. Or at least we'll have a new ETA in a few hours. Yeah. And, and in the meantime, um, she's been, she's headed, or they're showing her to the room where she's going to meet the ambassador and she does something with her earrings, puts a little bit of blood on them and sets them by the wall and immediately has a couple of guards come in carrying tricorders because there's some strange energy reading coming from here and what's going on with these gems? And she says, I classified, sorry, you probably won't be able to find out. But the ambassador has shown up and wants to know if he can find out. His clearance is high enough. And she's not really sure what his clearance is like, but she introduces herself and uh, explains a little bit of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she says that, uh, you know, don't touch them and don't go within a half a meter of them either. And they want to know why. And she says, they're beacons and my companions are going to be joining us through them. And they're like, there's no way they're going to be able to get in here. We're protected against unauthorized transporters and the shields are kept active at all times. And she's like, uh, who said they're going to use transporters? 
for my friends and myself, we don't need to use them. And, you know, they start in with the, it's illogical. Mm -hmm. And she starts preparing a plate of food for them. And they're like, why are you doing this? And she says, well, my friends are coming. And they're like, no, that's illogical. They can't get here. And she just keeps calmly filling up the plates. And two figures appear out of thin air. Yes, they do. Pop, pop. And they, they mail appraises the Vulcans and then relaxes a little bit when he sees Hermione. And the female wanders around the room looking at all the artwork. <laughs> Which is a totally lunatic thing to do. I love it. And she beams at Harry. And, of course, that's kind of weird for the Vulcans because they're being affectionate in public. Mm -hmm. but, and she goes and makes Luna eat because she needs to replenish her energy. And then she introduces them, says they are they are claiming sanctuary, and she's not going to explain how they got past the shield until Sarah is there, right. because it might need to be classified. This is a great excuse for everything. I'm sorry I can't talk to you. It might be classified. I'm sorry, I can't yeah. tell you anything. It might be classified. This reminds me of a story episode. <laughs> <laughs> and she asks if there's anything else the ambassador wants to know, and he says, uh, yes. <laughs> and then he's kind of, later, he's a little bit uh, sorry he said that, because he's just too confusing. Mm -hmm. We have a bit of a time skip again, and apparently the... Admiralty is really trying to get access to Hermione because they want to know what's going on with their cameras and how did she vanish from the room and all of that. <laughs> and uh, Harry and Hermione and Luna are playing with a magic globe. Mm -hmm. It's basically a beach ball made out of magic, and they're just sort of bumping it around in their little triangle. <laughs> yeah. It turns different colors depending on which one of them's in control of it. And, of course, they won't explain anything to anybody so nobody knows how they're doing it and they're all just like pulling their hair out because it's not logical so and, and it's just as well that Spock got his leave expedited because now they're trying to recall him but he's already got it through so mm -hmm. <laughs> I heard that wrong did you? yeah you want to share? Uh, I heard Spock got his weave expedited <laughs> His weave. Uh, I'm not sure that haircut would, would support a weave, but you know, <clears throat> maybe. Oh, what? Give me a second. And he says that he he'll resign his commission if they don't, you know, if they try to call him back to duty. Quite a lot of loyalty for Hermione. Well, but he saw what's going to happen, so that's true. And we find out that Sarek is going to be arriving in five point. Six, two hours, so they'll be there soon. Yeah. And there have been nine attempts to breach security thus far. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And they say, well, we must get them to Vulcan as soon as possible. But wait a minute, didn't they just say up here that he'd be arriving in five, in five hours and now he's here? Yeah, yeah. that was fast. Oh. That was fast five hours, but all right. And she calls, he calls down and says, Hermione, Sarek is here. And she says, we must clean up and dress. Spock says, well, the meeting will be after the evening meal. And she says, no, your mother's going to be there. And humans share information over food. Yeah. And Spock just, like, looks like he's been run over by a shuttle. Yeah. Because... And Harry says, uh, get used to it. That's how Hermione is. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and you better. Get, you should get ready now, or she'll stop and pick out your clothes. <laughs> and Spock's uh-huh. like, she would not. And Aaron's like, oh yeah, she would. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so Spock goes to get dressed, and that's where we're going to end it. Uh-huh. We're talking about chapter three. Pretty small. This is only a nine chapter fic, and I remembered them as being fairly long chapters, so I thought we should get too overwhelmed with ourselves. So. Uh-huh. Well. I, like I said, I picked it and put it on here because I thought it was a really fun fic, and I like it. I like watching this interaction between Hermione and Spock and seeing what's happening. And it's got enough of the canon in it, the Star Trek canon in it, to, you know, be feasible. And I can see the Harry Potter canon turning out that way if it wasn't the way that it is, you know. Just like Kat said, it would be very easy for Harry to have not joined up with Ginny and for Hermione to tell Ron pretty much to bugger off. So I'm really interested. I haven't reread past this, so I can't quite remember what all happened. So I'm really interested in reading again and finding out for next time what's uh, what's going to happen. So now. Mm-hmm. Scott, had you read this once before, or is this the first time you've read it? I believe I read the whole thing at some point. When when you first found it, you were recommending it, and I think I went and read it. Yeah. I think you linked it on the forum. Yeah, I'm sure but, I did. Uh, but I don't uh, really remember what happens either. Uh, this particular chunk is really just sort of the setup to everything. Because mm-hmm. uh, we've, we've had our, our prologue prologue when... Hermione was ages two to ten, and then we've had our uh, sort of middle setup when we've gone through canon, but uh, the epilogue hasn't happened, and none of the Star Trek movie has happened yet. And then now we're really starting to uh, bring those together and uh, make some changes. So we'll, we'll have to see where things go from here. But mm-hmm. I, I'm enjoying it. It's as I said, it's a they've done a good job of making it a plausible uh, a plausible blend for these universes and and uh, and making the setup work by by using the queue this way because um otherwise you would have to bring in like the um uh, Star Trek four reasoning and have somebody slingshot around the sun and go to the nineties or something and it would it just get complicated. <laughs> yeah. Probably. I just realized that I don't think we told the author's name, although I'm not seeing yeah, the author's mentioned name that. on here. Well, it's on um, Sohia's live journal. I don't know how you pronounce that exactly, but it's S-A-R-H-E-A. Um, Sarhia, Sarhia, something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. So we're going to assume that that is the person that wrote it. <laughs> And this was written for the crossover Big Bang, mm-hmm. which I think is a, a challenge where you, you sign up for various things. I don't know if it's one of the ones where you draw prompts from somebody else or if it's just you have to pick things from a list and do them or if it's you have to do a crossover in this amount of time or what exactly that does. But it was a challenge of some sort. Yeah. Kat, what about you? Had you read it before or is this the first time you've no. seen it? Um, I've read a lot of crossovers before, especially with Stargate, or I think I've read a couple Star Wars ones. Um, 
the problem with the crossovers is they're not usually very good. Mm-hmm. Um, this one seems promising. Um, I, and I will probably read more, which, yeah. you know, you know what, what that that's, says about that's me. That's good. That means you liked it enough to read more. <laughs> the type is for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a little too rushed at the beginning. Um, some of the, the things in the first chapter, I was, um, cringing a little bit because I wanted the author to set up more and go slower. Um, I felt there are a few things that characters just accepted out of faith, and I really wouldn't buy that. Um, I already mentioned yeah. the out-of-characterness of the Vulcan children. Um, but apart yeah, from, well, it, you know... it goes over six to eight years in one chapter, so yeah. I can see yeah, it kind of rushes through a lot of the setup, um, which, I mean, I'm okay with, because it seems like just a silly little fic, um, but I would have liked seeing more setup. Mm-hmm. Uh, but apart from that, yeah, it's... Um, the hard thing to do with crossovers is that um, a lot of times, like, universes just don't mix right. flat out. And it's it's really hard to, like, find a consistent mixture where they're both, you know, well-represented and they both kind of melt together correctly. Like, I can just see in my head out there somewhere, I'm sure there is a crossover where, you know, Voyager lands on a planet and it suddenly it's Hogwarts. And it's like, it's stuff like that that just kind of makes you want to go and like bury your head because it's just such a poorly contrived premise. Mm -hmm. Um, I kind of, I think the, um, the, the pairing of Spock and Hermione is a little cliche, but apart from that, it, it, yeah, it seems, it seems interesting. And I liked that it started them really young. Yeah. Um, that was an interesting twist. And that there's not a huge age difference. There's an age difference, but it's not huge. They're both right. children when they met, even though she was pretty much an infant or a toddler. And he was a little bit older. But I don't think that he's more than, I think it said somewhere that he was three years older. But, yeah, yeah. Well, he's three years older, um, and I think the aging was well-paced, because when he was 13 and she was 10, he was, you know, well, she's just a baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I like that. That wasn't, I mean, because sometimes you could, I, I know when I first told people Spock Hermione, they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> but I think that it was done really well, and that the, the ages were handled, so. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I'm not um, sure uh, science officer Spock and uh, trial lawyer Hermione would have come together as easily as they did doing it when they were kids. Yeah. So. Sure. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right. Well, tune in next time, and we will bring you the next three chapters of this, and we'll find out if. Hermione, Luna, and Harry can save Vulcan. And mm-hmm. I just have to bring up, um, my former choir director just posted, we came, we Shaw, we Crawford. That is very bad. Very, uh, bad. No. Those are players, man. Mm-hmm. Those are the, like, the top, those are, like, 
the three best. Um, I think Kane got like a hat trick in during the Stanley Cup Finals. That's always nice. So <laughs> these these are like the yeah. top three players. So yeah, cool. we're happy tonight. Happy, happy. I'm gonna go. My friend Meredith is not happy. And Melinda Leo either. I felt a little bad because before the Blackhawks won, she had posted, you know, like, go Bruins. And I did the, go Blackhawks. Now it's just out there. <laughs> Melinda's not going to talk to you anymore. Uh, very sad. Dang it. But, 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 but. Dang it. Oh, it'll be fine. So, all right. Well, we will say goodnight and we'll bring you the next segment and next time we see you. Buenas noches. Mm-hmm. Night, everybody. Good night, everyone. Yeah, this was fun. All right. It was fun. So hold on to the wonder that those books brought to our Keep each other safe. Keep faith. Good night.